Well, I guess I start with saying hello to Linda. I could not believe it. I think the last time we bumped into each other was at Founders Week in Chicago, and that's a few years ago now. And I'm glad to see that you're well and safe because when I heard about the uh, uprising in Gaume, in Niami area, I was concerned about you. So I'm glad you're here and safe. Uh, and Kathy, right over here, if you haven't picked up on uh, my the matching gray-headed set that we are. Uh, she always says that it, she didn't have it until she married me and it crawled over on the bed at night uh, and got to her. Well, it is such an honor for me to be here today and to minister uh, to this body of believers um, and to be asked to celebrate in this 100th year anniversary. Some of you who are newer may look at me and say, were you here 100 years ago when this started? Uh, no. Seth means was, and then uh, Pastor Chulka, I think, was after him, and then Walter Horde, then Doug Russell, then Dave Greiner. We had occasion to work together on numerous occasions and staff for five of those years together. It's a real blessing when I left that, stay, that Dave came to be a part of the leadership here. So it's my privilege to preach the Word of God today. But before we do that, would you please pray with me? Lord God in heaven, we're told in your word that whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the words of God. And whoever serves, let him do so with the strength that God supplies. So I pray that that would be the outcome in what is said in these next few moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. I actually grew up in St. Louis never expecting to come back after being gone after graduating for about 15 years and then coming back and uh, serving here. When I was a student down in South City, attending Southwest High School, I was on track team. And I was probably a better runner than I was a student. Uh, But I did finally graduate uh, from Southwest High School. And As I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about how we sometimes get confused about graduation. Is graduation a completion or is graduation a commencement? And it's a little bit of both, isn't it? You know, we're sort of honoring people who have gotten through and they are graduating. But also the challenges are there about what are you going to do with the rest of your life? What's next? How are you going to move forward from this day? And I've had an opportunity to get challenged repeatedly by a lot of people as I have gone to uh, educational environments and then gone through graduation. As I consider what it means to commence in your life and to keep moving forward, recently I heard John McCain say something. Uh, John McCain, senator from Arizona, Uh, has been diagnosed with a pretty severe cancer situation. And he was being interviewed, and I happened to catch it. And he said at that moment, yes, I have cancer, and it's really serious, and I don't know if I'll make it. But his comment was, every human being has an end. And I've just thought about that repeatedly ever since I heard him saying that. And at the same time, I have been trying to grasp, okay, that's not true exactly for a follower of Christ, because it's not the end. It is the expectation of a confident new beginning 
when life ends here. I can't remember the first time I came across Psalm 90 in my studies. It's one of the earliest recorded psalms, maybe the earliest, because it's attributed to Moses, not David or any of the other Asaphs that were there. So it's written by Moses. And we're not going to look at the whole text, but in Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12, it says, As for the days of our lives, they contain 70 years. If you've got a King James, it's three score and ten. Or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. And looking at the power of God, it says, And who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So... Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Kathy generally doesn't like for me to bring this up, but um, I'm cruising in towards 70, not too far off. Uh, My dad, some of you were very helpful when my dad passed away here in St. Louis. He was 70. His older brother was 70. His dad was 70. His younger brother was 70, all when they passed away. Now, you don't think that gives you a little stir when you think about that. Now, there was an outlier, my Uncle Ed. He just died recently. He was 88. So we're all thinking, okay, we'll go with Uncle Ed's longevity. (laughs) But what are we going to do with this life that has been given to us? You know, as we live life, the Lord doesn't waste anything. Sometimes we think we're going nowhere. And yet God is building some things through our lives that he's going to use. Uh, He wastes nothing. And we also, we know we have that eternal inheritance that is settled as well. So it's really important as you think about that. I don't know who you are, and I don't know what your heart is before God. If you know Jesus, you have the promise of eternal life from day one that you trust Christ. If you don't know Christ, the Bible talks about eternal death. And that's not you just die and you you cease to exist. That means there's eternal separation, a real existence separate from God. You want eternal life, I guarantee you, and not eternal death. But as I was thinking more more about finishing and the title on today's message, and some of you remember me, you've got an outline. Uh, Some don't like outlines, but if you like to use an outline, the outline is there. I appreciate those who helped me get that together. But uh, the title of the message this morning is Finishing Forward. I was a track runner, and you didn't stand up straight when you ran. You leaned forward. You tried to get your whole body moving forward into it. And when it came to the end of the race, you kind of did this lunge forward because you might be really close, and it might mean that much whether you're going to win or lose the race as to whether you lean forward or not. I got to thinking about some of those uh, finishers in life, and it's been on my mind since I finished my ministry up, down, wherever Texas is, um, just a few months ago. And so there are pastoral finishers. I've only really finished two church ministries. One of them was here. And on August the 13th, 1995... My message came from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. That was Paul's last letter before he died. He knew it was coming. He sensed it. 
And there was also this young Timothy that he wanted to encourage in ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the apostle says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So it's gone through several centuries now of new generations coming along that have accepted that call to serve and love Christ. It was just a few months ago now, uh, March the 26th, that uh, I finished up another place of ministry. And on that final Sunday, I preached from Acts chapter 20. I'd been kind of working my way through that. And the context of it is the apostle is meeting with the Ephesian elders. And they're not in Ephesus, but he's on a beach area. And so he's gathered them because he served in Ephesus more than any other place in his ministry, three years. He's pretty itinerant in what he did, but for three years he was in Ephesus. And there was a lot more sharing and thinking about what uh, had been Involved in the ministry in Ephesus, and he cared deeply about them, and both with Timothy in 2 Timothy and also in Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying, okay, baton's being handed to you folks. What's the next generation going to be involved in terms of ministry in the future? So I have been a pastoral finisher, but it's just not pastors who finish up sometimes ministry or keep moving forward. And I couldn't help but think of what Paul wrote to a group of believers in Philippi. And in, I want to go back, wait a minute, Acts 20, get ahead of myself. He said to the Ephesian elders, and now I commend you to God. First, he said, I commend you to God. Secondly, he says, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So he had confidence that he wanted them to be built up in their faith, but to be lunging forward towards the inheritance that they would one day experience. But there are personal finishers, which I already brought up. And when he wrote to the Philippian believers, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or already have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't done. And he says, there's a lot that's way ahead and I'm pressing forward. I'm leaning forward into what God has given me to do. So there are pastoral finishers, of which I have had that on my mind a lot lately. But everyone who's a follower of Christ is called to press forward. But there are, there are priesthood finishers. Okay, I am a preacher. I can't help it. I had to have three Ps there going. And uh, priesthood finishers. At Revelation 1, 6, it says, And he has made us, plural, to be a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, 
to be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So it's not just pastors. It's just not individual people. It's congregations. Fellowships of believers, communities of faith, body of Christ, the church. Well, that happens to be Chatham Bible Church, too. That this church has to be sensitive to how God is leading and moving forward with regard to what is the function that is clearly mandated in Scripture, but how do we uniquely go about doing it? So when John Shannon got a hold of me and said, what we've been really doing during this anniversary or this remembrance of 100 years is we've been talking about what are we called to in terms of having impact, influence in our community or in the world. And a few years ago, I was working on a mission statement for the church where I was pastoring, but in the process, it really became a part of my mission statement. And that mission statement was this, challenging followers of Christ to love God, love people, and impact the world for Christ. Now, it's not like we came up with that. It was already embedded in Scripture. Sometimes you state it in new ways just to kind of capture you again with what God has called us to do. Followers of Christ, loving God, loving people, and impacting the world for Christ. Now, this is familiar to us of what it says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38. He's asked by an inquirer, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I wish I would have picked Mark where he says, and all your strength. I had looked at that passage for a long time. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting with Sergey being pastor here. In 2001, a team went from our church, and I'd been asked to lead a, um, this is from Tennessee. I'd been asked to lead a time where 350 university students were going to be gathering together, and they wanted me to preach, and they gave me the subject. They gave me this text. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, all your soul. And I really began to think more deeply about how do you ever do that? It felt impossible, especially with putting that word all in front of it. I'm thinking, boy, I'm pretty deficient. How do I ever get that going in my life? So it caused me to really think more deeply. And I looked at those categories. I, I saw where it says, love the Lord with all your heart. And it looks to me, as I did the study on this, talking about the core of who you are. It's the will that is reflected in what you move forward with, the choices that you make. All your heart, all your soul. Who you are on the inside. How you go about processing life at an emotional level, I believe. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. What do you think about? What is on your mind? What gives you direction in how you think about what's going on around you. And then what's your strength? How does it get applied? How do you move it forward? Um, so love God with this intensity is a part of what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ. But it also goes on. Jesus says in chapter 22, verse 39, 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from the Old Testament. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you look at Paul's comments in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. When Larry Crabb wrote a book that was entitled Inside Out, been around a while. I don't know if you read it. The original title, I was hearing him talk about that book, and he said, that wasn't what I sent to the publisher. He said, what I sent to the publisher was the title being, I'm a mess, you're a mess. And he said, that's more characteristic of who we are. And in loving people, we better be prepared to say, I'm a mess, you're a mess. And if you get into that trap of thinking it's all of them that are a mess, you're going to miss the opportunity to apply the love and the mercy and the grace of God. As a matter of fact, I would say you don't really understand grace if you can't forgive people who have wronged you. I'm not saying it's easy. I've had a few of those tough encounters along the way in my life, but I pray for them even if they don't and won't ever come close pray for them love them with all those aspects of love do you think it's without meaning that jesus says you are to love god with all your heart mind soul strength and then he says in the second is like unto it that's saying that kind of response and looking at other people's life and other people's needs has that kind of intensity as well So it's not inappropriate to think about the needs that other people have as an opportunity to reach out to them and love them. And then that phraseology, impact the world, right at the close of Jesus' life on this earth, he's equipping his disciples, and you know this text, in Matthew chapter 28. 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all. There's that word again. All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. We'll, we'll skip the Acts. Well, no, we won't. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, his presence, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, here's what can happen. Mission statements can be an end in themselves. You've got a great mission statement, but it doesn't go anywhere. You can repeat it. It's supposed to be memorable and easy to do it. That's why we reshape these things along the way. But I'm convinced that if you don't have a, mission, a vision application of that mission, it will not impact you or anybody else. What is the vision that God is pursuing? How do we go about engaging our culture? I went to the church in Tennessee one Sunday morning. And well, I've done a lot of things that have got me in trouble here and there along the way. But I said, you know, we need to do less church we need to do more community and i said 
Some of you have got a natural way of doing that. You're, you, it can happen where you work or in your family or in your neighborhood or in your school. All those are ways it can kind of naturally develop if you're thinking about it, if it's important to you. But I was thinking, okay, Doug, there's going to have to be some intentionality with you. And perhaps it might have to be intentional in your life as well. How do you engage your community? How do you impact the world? I said, well, Doug, what are you going to do? Thought appropriate, the pastor do something like that. So God led me to become the chaplain at our local hospital, Ray Medical Center. And part of my responsibilities were to take ice and juice to the rooms. I could only go into a room as chaplain with those who invited the chaplain to come. Ah, HIPAA stuff. So, but what I found was that a lot of opportunities surfaced as I would go in and just the ice and the juice. And if they invited me to talk about something, I could do it. It was more than just patients. It, were, it was those who worked there at the hospital, which I had really more opportunity, where they would start telling me prayer requests and things that they had interest in, and it gave me all kinds of opportunities. Perhaps one of the most uh, unique opportunities that came my way, I was in intensive care. This is someone who said that they would be open to me stopping by. He was really in bad shape. I didn't think he was going to make it. But I prayed with him. And then he was there at the hospital for quite a while. So it gave me the opportunity to go by and visit him. But when I went by to visit him, I began to hear his story. He had been in the nursing home in town for six years. He had gotten dropped off by his daughter and left. She left town, moved to some other state. He had had a stroke and he couldn't even walk. So I, I began to get acquainted with Dave, and I heard more and more of the story. Now, I am convinced this is the truth. He was a member of Hell's Angels for 17 years. He wasn't from Dayton. He was up in New York, South Dakota before that, all over the country. He had originally been a sniper in Vietnam on a team of five who would be sent in, dropped off a helicopter. He said all they did was train us to be killers. And when they got out, all five of those guys joined Hell's Angels and terrorized. He said, don't believe it. They don't do nice things. Some people will try and tell you they're angels, but they're not. And so I had the opportunity over three years to build relationship with him before I left here. People at the hospital, when he would go over there, he says, they would say to me, have you seen Dave lately? I said, yeah, I've seen him pretty often. He says, he declares you as his best friend. He started coming to church with me. I'd go and pick him up on Sunday morning. It was complicated being the pastor to do that. But I would come, I would go and get him and take him to church. And I've been working to try and keep him connected and talk to him every week. I would have never, ever come across Dave if I had not intentionally looked for a way to touch my community. You may need to look at ways that you can intentionally touch your community. As you think about finishing forward, I wonder what continuum you're in as you move forward as a devoted follower of Christ. You cannot 
follow Jesus if you don't first if you don't first of all know Jesus. You know what it's like when uh, you get an assignment, write a paper, you got a project to turn in. Some of you who are still students, or you might remember what that was like. You got to start. That was the hardest part, just getting it going. So, being a faithful follower of Christ, you can't finish until you start. So what continuum are you on? Are you starting by trusting Christ? Have you met Jesus yet? Have you turned your life over to him? Some of you remember uh, the training we got with bad news, good news, approach to sharing the gospel. Remember that? Anybody use that besides me? Bad news. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can't take the time to go through all this this morning, but... January, a year ago, or this past January, Kathy and I are in Kansas City seeing our granddaughter. She had, uh, we dropped her off after seeing her parents all go back to Thailand. And so we said, come on over, stay with us at the uh, hotel. And when we got up the next morning to eat breakfast and to see her off, we're standing at the elevator and a door opens right by where the elevator is. And Kathy's saying to me, that's Bill. I said, Bill who? <laughs> so I turn around, and it's Bill Lewis. We hadn't seen Bill Lewis in forever. And so uh, Bill's not here this morning, but we talked last night. And I, we sat down for breakfast, and we were talking together, and he said, Doug, I, just, I remember the morning that you used the illustration related to uh, the fact that we all fall short of the glory of God. Because I gave the illustration. Remember this one? You take a baseball. Everybody goes out in the parking lot, takes a baseball. And the goal is to throw towards downtown St. Louis and hit the arch. So I said, okay, we are going to get out there. And I guarantee you that some of us are going to throw the ball further than others. But the problem is... None of us are going to reach the goal. It's too far off. You cannot do it. That's what's true with regard to our separation from God. We are separated from God because of our sin. And the bad news gets worse. Because in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. The good news we're going to get to, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, bad news is awful. But there's good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ has died in our place. But God demonstrated his own love for us. And that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died. Here's the key word for us. He died for us in our place. Now, I've had in my male progeny, uh, cancer, a lot. And so I, I take it serious when I see people with it, and I've been with people when they've died of cancer. But if someone has cancer and I go to the hospital and I, I say to them, you know, I feel really bad about what's happening and you're gonna, what's going to happen with this cancer? Well, they say I'm going to die. I say, I wanna, here's what, I want to take your cancer on me. I know that, how do you do that? I said, I want to take your cancer. And he says, well, what? 
I said, well, what happens to me if I take your cancer? He says, well, I'll live. I said, what happens to me? I die. The good news is that Jesus died for our sin. He died in our place. And when he takes our sin on himself through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have eternal life. Now, he doesn't look, God doesn't look at our life and say, well, you're kind of measuring up. You're, you're kind of worthy of that. Because it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's by faith. My next door, door, my next door neighbor in uh, Florissant, when we lived there, they were great neighbors and we loved them not believers well sort of <laughs> and one night we were in a conversation over at their house and i said you know when i die and go to heaven i will go to heaven and she whirled on me and she said well you're an arrogant sob and i thought wait a minute something has gone wrong in this communication <laughs> so and, and she didn't you know Abbreviated. So I said, no, Bobby, it's not what I did. It's what Jesus did in dying for me. I put my faith in him that what he did for me is what brings me to salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, the week before we left here, she died. And the family asked me to do the funeral in the Catholic church up the street. So I did. I had a chance to do a funeral and to speak the gospel on a Sunday morning. And the priest took over and did mass. But I thought, oh, my goodness, what opportunity to communicate the gospel if we make ourselves to be available in those right moments. Moving on. So we have to start this finishing forward. By trusting Christ, then there are those opportunities for us to be running and be faithful to Christ. The world um, looks at success. God looks at faithfulness as success. The word of God, worship of God, serving God, and our communion with God. All that is so critical. You say, well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Okay, I'm a Cardinal fan. I can't resist. What do they do in the spring? What do they do? Spring training. What do they do at spring training? Herm, what do they do? What do they do when they go down to spring training? They do the basics. If they don't do the basics, it'll be a disaster during the regular season. And so for a follower of Christ, there are those basic things that we will give ourselves to that will pursue faithfulness. And then along the way, there'll be that finishing, leaving a legacy for Christ. Our influence. It'll be with our children. It'll be with people that we've built relationship through time and we'll have the opportunity to. Give them what has been given to us. I don't know who said this the first time, but I think it's good. Last words are lasting words. 
What are you saying to people around you? How's it going to last in their lives in the future? So how are you going to go about passing the baton? Paul said to those Ephesian elders, I'm entrusting you to God's care. You couldn't be there all the time. Entrusting to God's care, and he was entrusting them to God's grace. So I can't do better than the word of God. I entrust you to God's care, and I entrust you to God's grace. A benediction is not the end of something. Sometimes people get that impression, okay, it's about time to go. A benediction is a blessing. That's what that is. It's truly a blessing. Some of you know that there are eras of time where I've used that blessing. It's an old Anglican blessing. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>